0: Would you you open your Bibles this morning and open them to the book of Ephesians? Last week we took a little break from our Ephesians study and uh, looked at the story of the Incarnation. Andy, my uh, monitor back here, my big timer thing is not on. Uh, By the way, let me just kind of interrupt myself here. There are a couple of cards going around. Um, There are a lot of us missing today, so it's more and more important that you... Sign the cards. I think there's going to be there's some notes on them that'll well, look at that. It's happening right as we speak. So please feel free to to sign those. You you may not know the people. Uh, that's not the idea. It's just that we want them to know we're we're praying for them. So please help us with that if you can. Um, so we took a we took a break last week and and uh, looked at the greatest miracles. We talked about the the incarnation. Um, the joining of very God and very man in the person of Jesus Christ who came um, to be God with us and as God with us to pay the price for our sin. So I, I want to go back though and just do a brief review. Um, I'm going to read these scriptures once again as today, um, Lord willing, we'll end with chapter 3. Um, Let's read from Scripture from verse 14 of chapter 3, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, two weeks ago, the, the emphasis was here uh, about Paul's prayer. And um, I mentioned to you that as we move through this, that uh, most of Paul's epistles have a similar form. The beginning is doctrine, so he lays out the theological principles, and then the end of those epistles, uh, the, and, and usually it's split somewhat down the middle, the end of those epistles is the application of that particular, of, of those principles that he's laid out. And because these letters were written to specific groups, um, This letter was written to the church at Ephesus. He's dealing with certain things that go on in that particular area. So they read those letters, and then they often pass them to other communities of believers in the area. And it it dealt with things that they were dealing with, doctrinally first, and then practical application. So in chapter 4, we see the practical application, and it says... And he begins, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness. And again, it's a run-on sentence, he keeps going, I'll stop there. But you get the point. He spent the first half of this book, three of the six chapters, telling you about your calling, and now he, he begins, Walk in a Worthy Manner." And by the way, that's just an introduction to what he goes on, because he goes on to explain what a worthy manner is, and he does so in great detail as we move through these next chapters. Um, So, his prayer here, actually, I think, begins that practical application. So he's moved from this doctrinal thing, although he's, he still shares some wonderful things in here. He's, he says, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm transitioning here. I'm, I'm praying for you guys. I'm praying that you'll understand all of these things and, and because it has to be done with prayer. And I, I remember a couple of weeks ago talking to you that it's not a simple math problem that can be explained. And I, I talked to you about chicks and counting them and, and kind of made a little joke of a story about how you can see all of that happening. The things that are happening here or that Paul is praying will happen cannot be seen with the eye. They cannot be heard with the ear. They're not things that can be outwardly discernible. There's no, there is nothing that you can do. There is. Listen, listen very carefully to me. There's nothing that you can do. It's something that God does within us. One of the frustrating things about the modern church is the concept of a discipleship class. Come to our discipleship class and we're going to have 14 lessons and at the end of the 14 lessons you'll be a disciple. That's ridiculous. Discipleship is a lifelong process. It's the process of continually yielding and, re- and um, releasing your will to the Master, in this instance, the Rabbi Jesus, continually yielding your will to him in all sorts of different circumstances. And the circumstances that you will encounter tomorrow are not the circumstances you encountered yesterday. And therefore, to prepare you for what is going to come tomorrow, you get close to him, and when tomorrow comes, you have the opportunity to be a disciple in a new way, in a different way. And we, we (laughs) I won't get into all that today, but we get all wrapped up in trying to build our organizations, and so we do this. This is something that you're not going to pick up in a class. You may get a hint, you may get a clue, hopefully you'll get some hints and clues here today, hopefully you'll get some more if you read this, contemplate on it. Chew on it a little bit in your inner man and, and it'll, it'll, it'll show itself to you in ways that you haven't seen it before. But it's going to be an internal, it's not internal process that the Lord does. It's not something that you can do. You cannot make yourself a disciple. You can't even see what the Lord wants you to see unless He reveals it to you. It's all a matter of His will and of His grace. And that's why prayer is necessary. And then I talk to you, and I'll just mention this briefly, that too much of our modern prayer is worldly and materialistic. And it's, it's very common for us to 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 pray for folks. We're passing cards around today for people who are in difficult situations, health issues, and uh, at least, the, I don't know how many cards are going around, at least the two that I know of, there's, there's health issues involved. And, and we're praying for them. But you know what's more important than their health? Their spiritual condition. We, we wouldn't be good parents if we didn't, if we didn't bow our hearts and, and, and pray for the safety of our children. But how much more important is it that we pray for the inner life of our children? And that's what this is all talking about that you may be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. These are all intangibles that come on the inside and they're all to be um, a focus of our prayers. The, the great classic devotional book, uh, My Utmost for His Highest, Oswald Chambers wrote something. I, I encountered it many years ago and it stuck with me and I've never forgot it. When we pray, we need to be in connection or empathy, maybe sympathy, with God. Not the person for whom we're praying. In other words, what does God want done in their life? Not what they want. You know, I've been ill, and I was very grateful to be... It's not very spiritual to cross your fingers, is it? So, very grateful to be free from the illness, and I ask people to pray for me. Um, and that's the normal thing, and that's the thing that we actually should do. The Bible tells us, if any of you are sick, what are you supposed to do? Call for the elders, and let them come and anoint you with oil, and pray pray for you. And your sins will be forgiven and you'll be healed. So there's a, there's a spiritual interconnection even with that. But so much of our modern prayer is we we get we connect on this materialistic level, on this worldly level, and we do not go deeper, and we need to go deeper. Um, all right. So prayer is the key to the door to the storehouse of God's riches. Now, Let's talk about love, because that's what we're going to talk about today, the love of God. And when we read this passage, the ultimate goal here is that to the Lord would be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. God wants the Lord Jesus Christ to be glorified forever and ever and ever and this however for us believers and let me just read to you some of the passages that are here he says he wants us to be strengthened with power I'm in verse 16 if you want to follow along that you be strengthened with power verse 17 says so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith hmm. That you so there's a continuation this is this is this is like a this is like a process or like a bunch of ingredients that you add into this recipe, and you add them one after another, so that you would be rooted and grounded in love hmm. and that, so let's just pause here the foundation of our Christian experience is to be Christ's love. That's, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish. And we'll, we'll talk more about the love of God here in just a second, but that's, that's the foundation of it. It's not our own goodness. It's grace that comes because of the love of God. And then, and then he continues, he says he wants, he wants us to have the strength, and that's an amazing concept. I don't know that I'm able to wrap my head around this. The strength to comprehend takes strength to comprehend. That tells me that my understanding the love of God is going to be met with some sort of obstacle that has to be overcome. I'm thinking that everything in this world, everything outside the, the, the ministrations, uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that everything outside in this world is going to pull you into unbelief or mistrust of the love of God. Now, this, this thing that we're dealing with here is an intangible. You can't touch it. You can't smell it. You can't, you, you, you can't ascertain it through, our, through, this, through the physical senses. It has to be something that's done in your heart. And there are all kinds of things that are round about that cause fear and doubt and confusion. So he says, listen, I want you to have strength so that you can comprehend. Now, it's kind of a um, contradiction because in a few minutes he says that you can't comprehend it, but we'll we'll get there in a minute. No sense causing trouble before we (laughs) can get there. He says, I want you to comprehend. what? What does he want us to comprehend? The love of God, the length, the breadth, the height and the depth. He wants us to know it in all of its dimensions. Until, it says, it passes knowledge. And that's how my English Standard Version says. That's what it says in, in verse um, 19. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge or goes past comprehension. Now, there's different words that's used in the Greek here, but basically the concept here, he says, this is not something that you can, you can read in a book and you can figure out. This is something that, that, that I'm praying that God will give you strength so that you will experience this thing and you'll know it because you know it. It won't be something you figure out. It'll be something that happens on the inside. And because of that, and here's how this verse 19 ends, you will be filled with God's fullness. If you have, uh, if you've got some leftover coffee in the bottom of your cup and you put it in your sink, And you turn the water on and go in there. What happens to that coffee? You just leave the water on. What happens to it? It gets mumbled. I'm sorry, I can't hear anything. It gets diluted. What if you keep the water running? It disappears, doesn't it? It's called the theory of displacement. You, put, you have a coffee in there, you put enough water in it, the water will displace the coffee. It will be mingled for a little bit and eventually there will be more fresh water in there than there was coffee and it will be, it'll be gone. It's called the theory of displacement. And the theory of displacement works in all sorts of areas of our life. I don't have time to get into that. We'll maybe get in touch in a little bit later as we move through some of these epistles of Paul where he talks to us about how we live. I, I got to tell you something, folks. If you want to be filled with the fullness of God... The key is grasping how much He loves us. And when we grasp how much He loves us, the focus of our little lives will shift from ourselves to Him because of displacement. We will be filled to some degree with His fullness, to whatever degree we allow it. The one who we talked about a couple of weeks ago held all things together. This one who made all things. Last week we talked about it. He made all things and he holds all things together. He will fill us. I'm sorry if I keep saying this, but I think it's important that we point out the contrasts because the contrasts are illustrative to us and could teach us somewhat Of a lesson, too much of modern Christianity is focused on us. Too little of it is focused on the greatness and the glory and the goodness of God. God did not send his son because we were worthy. That is an affront to the gospel. God sent his son when we were unworthy. So it's all about the love of God. And Paul prays for the Ephesians and, and and through them for us to know it in all of its splendor and in all of its sufficiency. Now, the commentators that I read were divided. And uh, some waxed very eloquent. As a matter of fact, I had several pages about how we're to love one another. And... Um, that is, of course, true. We are to love one another. Jesus said, a, he says, a new commandment I'm giving you that you are to what? Love one another. Jesus said, no greater love in any man than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. John repeats it when, in his epistles. said, a man doesn't love his brother, he cannot love God. If you don't love your brother who you can see, you cannot love God whom you cannot see. So there's, there is a great deal of validity in that. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking and giving us a command, an imperative to love one another. He's telling us that he wants us to understand how much God loves us. Paul wants us to experience and to know the love of God. Now, uh, one of the commentators I was reading, James Montgomery Boyce, said, we cannot know the love of God exhaustively, but we can know it truly. That's a big concept. Say, why can't we know it exhaustively? Because we are not infinite, and the love of God is. We're finite. But in our lives, in our experience, and in our walk with him, we can know it truly, in reality. It is real, and we can know it. Once again, Boyce says, he talks about the dimensions, you know, the height, the breadth, the length, the depth. He says that as we grow, and, and, and as we walk with the Lord, and, and know hardships of life, sufferings, persecutions then we can know how wide and deep and high and long is the love of God. That love of God that was manifested when God set forth His Son, born under the law, that He would redeem those of us who were under the law. If you don't, if you don't have it memorized, you should memorize it. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed His love for us and that He sent His Son to die for us, what? While we were yet sinners. And there's more to the verse, but that's the point I want to emphasize today. He sent His Son to die for us while we were yet sinners. I go back to that worthy thing. Did did God come to us because we were worthy? No. Did God come to us because we were worth redeeming? If there was any worth or value, it was in His eyes, not in us. God showed his love. Listen to this. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His heir and child He reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Any of you recognize this yet? Verse 2. When hoary time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall, when men who here refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so sure shall still endure, all measureless and strong. Redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints' and angels' song. Lord, help me get through this. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll, scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. The love of God is greater far. Verses 1 and 2 were written by a man by the name of Frederick Lehman who in a difficult time in his life he failed in business. He was a businessman and he ended up on the west coast packing fruit because it was the only way that he could feed his family. The story goes that he was inspired by the third stanza. The third stanza is based upon a very ancient, maybe a thousand year old poem. The third stanza was found scrawled on the walls of an insane asylum. when they went in to clear out the cell for someone else. They found those words. Let me read those to you again. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchments made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky now I don't know where you are today have you failed have you made poor decisions have others deserted you are you alone accused fearful have you sinned? Has misfortune cost you a promotion or a job? Has grief been your companion? Has sickness or infirmity plagued you? Then look to the Lord Jesus. His love never fails. Listen to what Paul writes in the book of Romans. I'm going to read to you some verses from chapter 8, if I can get this uncooperative hand here to work. Verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge to God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? You see what he's saying there? If if your neighbor condemns you and you've been justified by God, what does your neighbor know? What does it matter what your neighbor thinks or says? Because it's God who justifies. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. John repeats that concept when he gets into his epistles. So, whereas the world may accuse the redeemed stand with the Son of God who died for us interceding, that means he's praying for us. Verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered know in all these things we are what you guys following along more than conquerors through him who what loved us we are more than conquerors through him who loved us Paul continues for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation listen to that listen to that Death or life or angels or rulers or things present or things to come nor powers nor height or depth nor anything else in all. <laughs> the Apostle Paul was a goofy man. Let's to talk to him someday about his vocabulary. He lists all these things and then said, or anything else in all creation. I don't know why he just didn't say that at the beginning. It would have been a more succinct book. will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you read that, and you can come up with some exception, then you're pretty marvelous. You say, well, he, he didn't cover that. Hmm. I got news for you. It covers everything. It covers your own failure. It covers your own sin. It covers your own weakness. It covers your own ignorance. It covers your own stupidity. It covers it all, there is nothing that you can do that will separate you from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord there 's nothing your neighbor there can do there 's nothing that society can do or culture can do that can separate you from the love of God there 's nothing the accuser of the brethren can do, and he can hast, he can uh, aim his darts at us and, and, and assail us with his accusations but it's Jesus Christ who stands at the right hand of the Father who makes intercession for us and he does so in love. Because we are his purchased with his blood. There are all sorts of things in this world To be bummed out about, to be discouraged about, to be distraught about, to be frustrated about, to be hurt over, to be afraid of. All sorts of things. Some of you may be waiting on a call from your doctor. Some of you, you know, I raised teenagers. I I hated it when my phone rang in the middle of the night. And for almost 20 years, I was the guy that would go and knock on people's doors and give them bad news. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. Now look at verse 20. Climb this mountain with me. Now to him who is able, okay, we're just gonna, we're gonna go up these steps. Now him who is able to do far more abundantly. Again, it's the apostle Paul and, and, and his, his just overflowing superlatives in his language. Him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that you ask. Or above what you can even what? Think. God is able to do things that you cannot, even conceive of. Because our minds are finite and His is not. So uh, uh, climb that mountain. He, he, can do all these, he can do all of this. It, it, is he going to meet our heart's needs? Now let me give you a warning here. Too much of this, too, too often that verse is applied to all the materialistic needs that you have. If you want an interesting study, if you want to think about the concept of it, think about the concept of Job. And if you think about it, you'll realize that God thought Job's heart was more important than everything he had, including his children. So what we're dealing with here is, is not houses and lands and refrigerators and cars and hobbies and all this other stuff. When it says he's able to do far abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's not what we're dealing with here. This whole passage has to do with what's going on in strengthening in your inner man, what's going on in your heart. So when, it, when it was going on with this, it's, it's for when those times when we face decisions or we're distraught or we're frustrated or we're fearful or we're confused. All of those things that can come crowding in on us and the world bombards us and says, you know, you're all alone and God doesn't love you, God does so. And when when we're down in the dealing and digging and trying to figure it out and sort it all out, there is something going on that's past our even, even, excuse me, there's something going on that's past even our ability to conceive of. Because that's who God is. That's what verse 320 tells us that when our hearts are in turmoil and our minds are in confusion and we're bowed under by fear, when enemies have persecuted us and friends have forsaken us and all things have gone wrong, God's love is true. And that should cause us to give Him glory throughout all generations, forever and ever. And don't you love it when the Apostle puts an amen at the end of a sermon? Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing here in just a minute. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we live in a broken world. And, and we live in a material world. We live in a place where we have to go to work and pay bills and deal with broken pipes and trees that need trimmed and yards that need mowed, kids that get sick, all sorts of things that happen in this world. We live in a world where people talk about us. We live in a world of where there's political instability. And Lord knows there's all sorts of people who are fomenting all kinds of crazy ideas to give us more reasons to fear and doubt and be in confusion. And though all the foundations of the world be shaken, your love is true. Oh, that we were as wise as that fellow in that cell in that insane asylum to know the greatness of your love. Let your word produce it in our hearts in answer to our prayers and in answer to the prayer of the apostle. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.